Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. I wanted to let you know that I'm offering personalized running coaching over Skype and email. If you're interested in working with me, go to paleorunner.org coaching. My guest today for the show is Stephen Sashin, founder of Zero Shoes. Stephen, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'm just uh, enjoying the idea of um, running coaching by email. Do people use like little ASCII text to show you what their form looks like? Or? <laughs> uh, no, we use video for that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just, I don't know why I'm just enjoying the idea of, 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 of email and coaching. Uh, and I'm sure it all makes sense, but there's got to be some joke in there that, um, that is stuck in my brain. <laughs> right. Well, you know, what I do is I, I help them with their programs. Um, it's not so much running form. Um, you know, that's something we should talk about is running form as we get awesome. into the show. Sure, but sure. To start out, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started with this whole zero shoes um, business? Oh, my, oh, my. Um, about seven years ago, when I was 45, I had gotten back into sprinting after a 30-year break. And that happened because um, I, uh, I was at brunch one day, and a friend of mine comes in, and he had just won his first 5K, and he was really happy. And I said, you know, I love the idea of running, but I was always a sprinter, and, you know, running has never been my thing. When I go out and do distance, it's just not, it's not the way I'm built. And he's, well, you know, there's a whole master's track and field circuit, right? I said, no, I did not know this. And so he introduces me to a coach and he introduces me to the whole master's track and field world. And I could not have been happier. And I could not have gotten injured more often than I was. I mean, every two weeks I'm ripping something, pulling something, tearing something. I'm hobbling around my kitchen. One day my wife says to me, I mean, I'm barely walking. She goes, are you having fun? <laughs> I said, uh, more than you can imagine as I could barely walk. And after years of this, I mean, literally I would, I would have a couple of weeks tops where I would go from being uh, injured to injured. A friend of mine who is a world champion cross country runner says, you should try taking off your shoes and seeing what happens if you run barefoot. So I did. And the amazing thing that happened on my second barefoot run, I got this uh, massive blister on the ball of my left foot. And it was not lost on me that I didn't get the same thing on the ball of my right foot. And it was also not lost on me that my left leg was the one that got injured more often than my right leg. So my third barefoot run, um, while I've still got this raw skin on the ball of my foot, I thought to myself, let me just go out and see if I can find a way to do this that doesn't hurt. Because if I can find a way to run that doesn't hurt, then the odds are good I'm not doing the thing that caused the problem to begin with. And I'll just give myself 10 minutes and see what happens. So at the nine minute and 30 second mark, I was about to call it quits because I just could not figure out what was going on and running on a big patch of raw skin was not the most pleasant thing I've ever done. And then one second later, literally one step later, everything changed. And I was instantly not only pain free, but I was running faster. I was running lighter. I was using less effort. And it took me a little while to realize that what had been going on was that Previously, I had been overstriding. I'd been reaching out with my feet and kind of grabbing the ground and trying to pull it behind me instead of getting my feet underneath me and placing my feet on the ground and lifting them off the ground rather than pushing and pulling. And I had spontaneously figured out how to stop doing this because doing it wrong hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, human brains are pretty smart. When it hurts, they try to find a way around it. And so mine, mine happily did. And the whole idea of just spending time as close to barefoot as I could 
to really just wake up my body to doing things correctly became screamingly obvious. I started doing more and more of that within a few weeks. My injuries were gone. Um, I became a master's all-American sprinter. I started making minimalist sandals for myself and other barefoot runners and more and more people kept asking for them. And then one day, and we're coming to the end of the story, then one day, um, the guy who's a local barefoot running coach says, you know, I'm writing a book on barefoot running. If you had a website, I'd put you in the book. And so I rush home and pitch this idea to my wife who assures me that it's a really stupid idea and just a distraction from everything else we've been doing. And I, I told her she was correct. And then when she went to bed, I built a website <laughs> and it really, and it just took off. I mean, we, the timing was right. We were doing the right thing. It, it just, uh, we met some really helpful people and, um, and we have literally been running ever since that was November 23rd, 2009, when we launched the website and, uh, um, we've just been developing new products and we've now, gosh, I think we have over 70,000 people who've been wearing zero shoes for everything from taking a walk to running ultra marathons. Wow. Wow. Steven, that's an incredible story. So, I mean, take me back to a little bit there. You start um, master's track. So you're a sprinter wearing sandals. How, how does that work? Don't these ah. things fly off? <laughs> um, well, they wouldn't, they actually wouldn't fly off because they do hold on your, on your foot well enough. And there's different ways of lacing them to make that happen. But, um, the reality is while I'm a total barefoot geek, uh, in fact, <clears throat> it's snowing out here right now in Colorado. And I was walking into the office in my bare feet and my parka and my <laughs> hair is kind of, you know, at its biggest. And I, I saw myself in the reflection of the window and I went, Oh wow, I'm that guy. <laughs> I did not realize that until right now. But, um, uh, so the reality is footwear is appropriate for appropriate situations. There's not a lot of those situations, but there are some. So, I do all of my warm-ups and all of my drills, either barefoot or in zero shoes. When I need to be over 80% of full speed, I need to be in some form of footwear. Uh, and at full speed, I need to be in spikes because without spikes, when I'm, when I'm doing a hundred meters, my top speed is somewhere around 23 miles an hour. And if I was doing 23 miles an hour across a Mondo track surface, I would have nothing but bone underneath my, my legs. You just rip your feet to crap. So, um, uh, so spikes are required for full speed and, and something just to get enough traction for over 80% for me. Okay. So now that you've got this business started, do you still have time to do master's track? Uh, sadly, less than I would like. And it goes in phases. Uh, right now we're in a really busy phase. And so I'm on the track once a week, maybe, and then in the gym a couple times a week. Um, when things get a little more calm during certain seasons of the year, then, then I get time. So I'm still out there competing, but I unfortunately haven't gotten to do the amount of training that I, uh, I really like doing. Uh, so that's, that's my post-retirement fantasy. Okay. And let's talk about that transition that you made. I mean, you said you basically instantly, um, felt that this was the way to go. Was this pre born to run or was, is this after born to run? Right. It was right before it became huge. So a friend of mine had this friend, the, the cross country runner, he had given me a copy of born to run. I'd known about the Tarumara. I'd known about the Leadville 100. I knew that they ran in sandals and barefoot. So I was hip to the whole story. Uh, but I hadn't read the book until, you know, he said, take off your shoes and go for it. And, but this was in the summer of 2009 and the book really kicked in, in the next, like six months later. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, I, uh, this is pertinent because I just received an email this morning from someone who's been listening to the show and they're making the transition to a more barefoot style of running. And they said their calves are just always sore. Oh, good, good, good. So I love this. First of all, tell, first tell of me all, about that. What's the transition yeah, yeah. like? Yeah. Well, there's two things. There's no such thing as a more barefoot style. Okay. It's barefoot or it's not. And, and I say that even as a guy who makes quote barefoot sandals and, and I'll, I'll clarify that a bit. 
the whole idea of minimalism is complete. Um, how, how, what kind of language am I allowed to use here? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Anything. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of minimalism is complete bullshit. It was created by footwear companies because they didn't have a barefoot product to sell when people were kicking off their shoes. So they made up a story called minimalism. But when you talk to barefoot runners, <clears throat> there's no barefoot runner who will tell you that being in a minimalist shoe is even remotely the same as being barefoot. The research shows that being in a minimalist shoe is nothing remotely like being barefoot. Now, that said, there is a pilot study that showed that people who wear our shoes are biomechanically identical to barefoot. And it's not a big surprise because it's just like wearing zeros is like having someone throw a tiny piece of rubber underneath your foot when your foot lands. There's no padding. There's no heel drop. There's no – there's there's – it, the, the thing that the, the thing that makes it not barefoot, and I'm the first one to say it, is it's like landing on a piece of rubber every time. You know, so the it's the same sensation, even though the undulations of the surface might change under your foot. It's still that same sensation of of, of landing on rubber, rather than all the different sensations you get when you're when you're landing on on a surface when you're barefoot. So that said. Um, keep in mind that I've met people who say, I tried barefoot running and it didn't work. And I said, Oh, were you barefoot? They go, no, I was wearing fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And I go, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, the gap between barefoot and not is dramatic. And I I've met doctors, doctors who say things. Oh, I I love this barefoot running. I'm seeing so many more patients It's putting my kids through college. (laughs) And I go, first of all, have you asked your patients if they're running barefoot? And they go, well, uh, no. Have you taken video of your patients to see what their running form looks like? Uh, uh, no. You realize that more people are trying this now than ever before. And you're only – so there's more people who may get injured if they were going to get injured. So you're just seeing an increase because of the increase in popularity, right? Uh, uh, yeah. And you know that um, healthy people who, have a, who make the transition who have no problem, they don't come to see you, right? Uh, uh, right? <laughs> and you know that 40 years ago when running shoes were invented, you doctors made the same damn joke. They go, oh, well, all right, that's true. So um, so all that said, that's my tirade against the whole minimalist thing and against uh, dumb doctors. Not all of them are dumb, but it's amazing how I, I'm it's 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 upsetting to me in a way that I own this company because people think that I will make these arguments just to promote my product, which is not the case. I'm all about clear thinking and reality. And it just and what's amazing is I don't even have to promote barefoot. I can just point out the faults in people's logic against it. Um, so anyway, that's part one. Related to that though is this whole calf pain thing. So calf pain or Achilles pain. There are a lot of people who who will even teach the idea that because you're using your legs and your feet differently, the pain is required. Complete. Uh, I was going to say completely not true or complete bullshit and I couldn't figure out which. And so I got tongue tied. It's not true. It's completely optional. Um, and where calf pain comes from is one of a couple of form related issues that if you're aware of them and if you make the transition slowly enough, you can avoid entirely. Hmm. So here's the things that cause it. One um, is something that I never imagined anyone would do in a million years, but then I watch people do it sort of dumbstruck, which is when they hear that you're supposed to land on the, on your forefoot or your midfoot, they still reach out with their foot. So their foot's going to land way in front of their body and then they point their toes. So when you land like that, the eccentric contraction of your calf, what basically what that means is as you're trying to slow yourself down um, and put the brakes on by letting your heel come down slowly or not at all, that's a lot of force on your Achilles and your calf. And so that can cause calf pain and it's not necessary because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to reach out with your foot 
and land on your forefoot, um, nor are you supposed to never let your heel touch the ground. Um, so those two things can can uh, cause excessive strain. The third thing is when you push off the ground, or more accurately, if you push off the ground, rather than thinking of lifting your foot off the ground from your hip, um, then you're using more concentric force. You're contracting the calf more than is necessary. So uh, those are the two things that put excessive strain on your calf. Now, the interesting thing is if you started slowly enough, like with a 30-second run, 200 meters, and you only built up if the day after that 200-meter run, you felt totally fine. Then the next time you would do 300 meters or 40 seconds. And you kept building up in a, in a really, really slow progression. Uh, even if you had the bad form, you could probably make the transition without calf and Achilles pain. Hmm. But you can avoid it entirely if you pay attention to the form and really make the transition slowly. For me, um, I honestly don't remember what it was like now that it's been six plus years. Uh, but I, I, I was pretty good about doing the form changes. So I don't remember having a lot of calf pain. I certainly had never had any Achilles pain. Okay. So for someone transitioning, would you recommend that they, uh, start off barefoot in a, or in a pair of zero shoes? Well, obviously I would, <laughs> you know, um, I, I kind of go both directions on that. I, I often recommend barefoot. And what I'll say is, is make the transition barefoot and then have some zeros because you want to be able to get that same feeling 24 seven. You know, you can go into a restaurant without having to worry about whether you're wearing shirt shoes and can get service. So my recommendation, the instruction I give for the world's fastest barefoot running instruction, take off your shoes, find a nice, smooth, hard surface, uh, go for a very short run. And if it hurts, do something different till you're having fun. And each one of those pieces is relevant. The barefoot thing is because it's the only way you're going to get, it's the way you're guaranteed to get the most feedback possible that will let you know what's happening with your form and let you make adjustments. And we can talk about um, the neurological component of that in a minute, if you like. But the second part of finding a nice, smooth, hard surface, some people say, oh, you need to run on something soft. Complete nonsense. Um, running on something soft is like taking the foam out of your shoe and just putting it on the world. So I've watched people on soft surfaces continue to run with crappy form because they're not getting the feedback that that crappy form hurts until their knees start hurting or their back starts hurting or something after they put in enough miles. But on a really hard surface, you, you have no choice but to learn to use your muscles, ligaments, and tendons as the natural springs and shock absorbers that they've always been for hundreds of thousands to millions of years. So there's, and when people say, oh, well, people in Africa, they never ran on concrete. It's like, you've never been there. Some of those, some of those surfaces are as hard as concrete. Packed dirt is not soft. Rocks are not soft. Um, there's a lot of surfaces that are really so close to concrete level hardness that people are running on for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles that 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 argument is completely completely um false the do something the really short thing again we've talked about that is like there's no reason to do anything other than a very short run just to feel it out and build up your time slowly and integrate that into the rest of your running routine slowly there's no rush um a friend of ours here in town is a three-time olympian who says that after when she's pregnant she just can't run and so she takes the time off and when she's done having a baby she will spend nine months getting back to her full speed. The first month is just walking. Mm -hmm. And so if an Olympian can take their time to do it, you know, so can you. There's no rush. And then the do something different until you're having fun 
is just about paying attention to, well, just that. It's like my, my mantra when I run and the one I recommend is, what can I do that would make this faster, easier, lighter, and more enjoyable? And then literally experiment and see what it takes to use less energy, to relax more. And that might be picking up your cadence, making it faster. It might be making it a little slower. It might be landing midfoot. It might be landing forefoot. It might be landing more flat-footed. It might be running on trails instead of running on a flat surface. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to find the way to, to have it be fun. Um, but if it's not fun, Jesus, don't do it. <laughs> Now, how about protection? What about when you're on a really gnarly trail or, you know, you say you're a realist and when you're sprinting at high speeds <laughs> and you need those spikes, yeah. you know, what are there times where zero shoes are not going to give you the protection you need on a trail? Um, there are yes and no. It's possible, but most of those trails are not what most people spend time on. The reason that most people think that about trails is they're so used to just barreling across a trail without thinking about what they're stepping on and relying on the footwear to do all the work for them. And what happens when you start going barefoot or in zeros is you start being more mindful of what your surface is and using the surface which could mean avoiding something, or it could mean positioning your foot on a rock in a certain way where you can push off of it. Or there's lots of different ways that you'll pay attention to what you're running on uh, that's different than if you're just trying to barrel down down a, down a hill somewhere. Um, in fact, going downhill is an interesting one. Most people are used to going downhill and just using their legs as brakes mm -hmm. instead of picking up the cadence and using the speed of your turnover as the thing that determines how fast you're going down the hill. Or some people get attached to this idea that I need to go at a certain speed, and so they just barrel through it rather than doing the thing that actually works for your body. It's, it's funny, if you go um, to some of these places where there are indigenous runners like the Tarumara or in, in Africa as well, people tend to run slower than what we think is appropriate. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not about the speed. I mean, they can run fast, but that's not that's not their primary concern. And sometimes, you know, slowing down is the right thing to do. So a, you find that you start paying attention in a way that me, that makes some of those gnarly trails less gnarly. B, um, something that I noticed over the, over the first couple of years that was fascinating was things that I originally had a hard time stepping on, uh, became not a problem later. And it wasn't because I built up some giant layer of calluses on my feet. That's another myth. You don't build up big calluses. Your skin doesn't become an inch thick. Uh, you, what ended up happening was that my feet became more flexible, so they would bend around things more, and my reflexes got faster so that I would step off of something that was painful faster than just you know landing on it and not being aware until it's too late. And all of that said, there are some surfaces that especially, you know, if you're doing like a hundred mile ultra where by, you know, somewhere in there, mile, something or other, you can barely think, let alone pay attention to how you're moving. Uh, some combination of surfaces and exhaustion will make footwear appropriate. And so one of the things that's fun about zeros is you can just stick them in your pocket. Mm. Uh, they weigh four ounces to seven ounces a pop. And so they don't take up a whole lot of space and a lot of weight. So you can, you can go back and forth if, if necessary. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of being smart rather than dogmatic. And if you're in a place where for whatever reason you can't handle that surface, you, it, again, if it's fun to go out and experiment and see what you can do, knock yourself out, but don't, think that you need to be able to run on um, flaming 
buckets of broken nails and hypodermic <laughs> needles just because you think you should. Gotcha. Now, how about faster runners? Can people, I mean, you said when you're sprinting at high speeds, 23 miles an hour, you need something a little bit more secure or with um, spikes. Yeah. How fast can you go um, with a sandal type shoe like this? Um, we've got a bunch of guys who are, who are, oh gosh, like low 30 minute 10 K guys that are running our shoes. Wow. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Fast. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have seen you on shark tank. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like? Uh, legally? No. Um, (laughs) yeah, actually we, we, there's a pretty, pretty big contract we signed about what we can and can't say, but I actually am happy to tell you everything. It was, from the moment they said they were interested to the moment we to the moment the show aired, it was really stressful. Mm. Uh, first, because we didn't know if we were going to get on the show. Then they said we we're going to get on the show, but they didn't tell us when we were going to come to to tape the show. And then, of course, we didn't know what was going to happen. And then we're in there for longer than what you see on television, so we didn't know what it was going to look like when they edited it. We didn't know if we were actually going to be on the air because some people they'll tape a segment, but it doesn't end up on the air. Uh, we didn't know when it was going to happen, if we were going to end up on the air. So we took our only vacation, gosh, in the last five years, we went down to visit friends in Ecuador and over Christmas. And while we were there, we got an email, Hey, you're going to be on Shark Tank in a couple of weeks. Like, ah! so, um, and then the, the simple thing is it has been a just tremendously wonderful experience. Um, it introduced what we're doing and the whole concept of barefoot and natural movement to millions of people who didn't know anything about it. Uh, and it helped our business dramatically. It helped our business, not only in terms of sales, we sold about 3000 pairs of shoes in the week following the show, but just as our business continues to evolve, um, when we're dealing with investors, for example, it gives us a level of credibility that we couldn't have gotten in any other way. And, and we're, we're tremendously grateful. Um, people are watching this out of real time perhaps, but we're actually now that Shark Tank has been syndicated on CNBC, we've been rerun a few times and we're going to be on TV again tomorrow night. Uh, we just found out. Oh, cool. Great. Yeah, it's pretty neat, actually. Or I have some friends. Oh, this is fun. Um, I don't know if you know um, Scott Jurek and his wife, Jenny. Uh, they live in Boulder. Big deal ultra runners. Wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they were on an airplane recently and our episode of Shark Tank came on and they're like jumping out of their chair. It's like, we know those people. <laughs> pretty fun. So you didn't end up getting a deal with Shark Tank. How's business going? We turned down a $400,000 offer from Kevin because it was he wanted half the company, which wasn't going to happen. And business is going really, really well. We're, uh, again, I don't know if people are seeing this in or out of time, but we're launching a brand new product uh, at um, in just a, about a week, actually, a little over a week, that we showed at a trade show um, a couple weeks ago that's, that's a, a huge, huge new evolution in minimalist, barefoot, whatever you want to call it. Uh, ultimately, what we pardon me, what we say is lightweight performance recreation sandals. It's it's a more familiar product to people other than the warache style lacing, which is kind of flip-floppy with a heel. This looks more like a Chaco or Teva or Keen, except that it weighs next to nothing, rolls up and fits in your pocket, and still has our 5,000-mile warranty, still durable enough for an ultramarathon. Um, so we're, we're tremendously excited. We've got uh, a few new products that we're working on that will be out by the end of this year. And we're relaunching our website. We have a brand new website that's going to be online in just a short period of time. So we're not doing things like sleeping or <laughs> um, resting or things like that. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen that new sandal that you're coming out with. And I, I'll have this out by next week. So that'll be a perfect timing 
But, but, um, um, what what is the thickness on that? What what kind of protection is there? On it's that? about six and a half. Oh, sorry, it's about five and a half to six millimeters thick of uh, what we call our feel true rubber, which is a high abrasion resistant rubber that is still really flexible, but again durable enough to sustain our five thousand mile warranty. Um, and so it still gives you great ground feel, but it's it's a nice layer. It, what it feels like really when you put it on is like someone just strapped a tire to the bottom of your foot. It really it, it's. The Warache style for our Venture or Cloud or for our do-it-yourself kits, that can almost feel like there's nothing on your foot because it's just enough to hold it on your foot, and it holds on really securely. We've had people run across Madagascar in a pair of those. But with the, the new one, the Z-Trek, it really feels like, wow, I've got something on my foot. And it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Okay, so you said that you're out there in Colorado and you walked into work today barefoot. Uh, how does that work? How did you build up to that level of tolerance? What- uh, well, I own the place. I can do whatever I want. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and, and you asked it in just the right way because it was a building up process. The, the, and it wasn't really deliberate. It was more out of curiosity. So the first winter that we had the company, uh, I was just kind of curious how long I would go through a cold Colorado winter before I felt the need to wear shoes. And the next thing I knew it was spring. And then it happened again the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. So I I can't delineate some specific transition times other than now. I was thinking about this last night. Even when it's really cold and and I'm walking out through snow or in water or something and my feet definitely get cold, uh, sometimes they don't depending on how much blood's flowing through my body. But if it's a situation where I'm just walking out of the office through the snow to my car, I so like the different sensations that I don't care that I've gotten temporarily cold. I'm not being stupid. I'm not doing something where I'm going to get frostbite. But the I've really become very attached to feeling things. It feels good. It's fun. It's interesting. And this is not a surprise. There's more nerve endings on the bottom of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your mouth, basically. Um, a quarter of the bones in your body are in your feet. Most of the joints in your body are in your feet. This is not an accident. So it, you're supposed to use them. And the more I do, the more enjoyable it's become. Oh, cool. You know, um, another question I'd like to get to is diet. You know, uh, my listeners are always interested in different diets and what people are doing. What kind of diet do you follow? <laughs> what have you had to um, eat today? I'm, I'm, oh gosh, if you hadn't asked the second part of the question, this would have been so much easier for me. All right, I'll, I'll answer both. So uh, I like to say that I'm on the, I don't know when I'm going to get hit by a bus diet. <laughs> okay. Uh, which means that I, I eat things that I enjoy eating and, and, um, but I do, and it's not that I do everything in moderation. It's just that I'm not a gluttonous kind of person. I don't, I'm not the kind of person who, if he start, uh, I can actually eat two tablespoons of ice cream and that's enough for me. I'm not the kind of person who has to eat the entire pint. I have done that, but it's not my normal <laughs> thing. Um, every now and then that's fun. Or, you know, I was really, really stressed out last week. I was working really hard. I was doing just nonstop 18-hour days. And on Friday, I said to my wife, uh, I'm, craving, I'm craving the food that, I, that I, I, sometimes, I sometimes crave if I'm really ill. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. And she came home with a box of Lucky Charms. <laughs> and I've only eaten maybe a cup of the box, uh, but it was really, really fun. I felt like... <laughs> My my analog to that is it's like when you see tribal uh, people who find a, be- a beehive and they just gorge on honey for days. That's Lucky Charms for me. So, <laughs> although I got to tell you, they've increased the number of marshmallows compared to the oats, which has messed me up because I used to eat all the oats first and save all the marshmallows for last, and now it's impossible <laughs> to do that. They stick to the bottom of your spoon. It's horrible. But anyway, I'm um, 
I, what do I eat? I'm a fish eating and dairy eating, mostly vegetarian. And before the paleo people freak out about this, let me tell the story. Um, I was at paleo FX a couple of years ago for the first one. And I said to a lot of the doctors there, what you're saying is very interesting to me. And even if I don't necessarily agree with some of the reasoning behind some of the things you're suggesting, I'm an experimental kind of guy. The idea of finding a diet that I find enjoyable and that helps me achieve the goals that I'm trying to achieve, that's been a lifelong pursuit of mine. I'm always interested in that. So I would be willing to knock myself out and try the paleo diet you're recommending. And there's variations on a theme, obviously. Some people think that any any form of starch is death and some people are okay if you look at a potato and some people are okay if you know what how to spell potato and other people <laughs> actually eat one and so there's you know variations on a theme but i yeah. said um i said look i've never liked meat since the day i was born like literally since the day i was born and a number of the people i talked with a number of the physicians were trying to come up with ways of getting me to hide meat in other things i went no 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 when that <laughs> happens i i I identify it and go, ooh, what's that weird flavor? And they go, oh, well, we put pork in this. I'm like, yeah, see, I don't, I don't like that flavor. And finally, one of the doctors, and I wish I could remember who it was. Um, oh, man, it'll hit me. Anyway, says to me, uh, so do you like red wine? I said, no. He goes, do you like uh, mushrooms? I went, not really. He goes, do you like tea? I said, if I never drank it again, I wouldn't miss it. And he goes down this list of foods and beverages. Everything that he mentioned was something I either don't like or couldn't care less about ever having again. And he, without missing a beat, says, you have a genetic disorder. I said, <laughs> really? He goes, yeah, you don't taste umami. You don't taste the savory flavors. Oh, okay. And so um, there's – and I found there's a study that shows that people who don't taste savory flavors tend to eat less protein and, and, and very little to no animal protein. Uh, and that's my experience. Fish I like, especially sushi, because um, raw fish doesn't have the fishy thing, which has more umami flavor. Mm -hmm. And I don't like eel, which has very umami flavor. So – uh, fish, eggs, um, dairy, and then, you know, once a year. Eh, it's a, oh, sorry. You asked me what I ate today. <sighs> so one of my problems is that I'm willing to tell the truth kind of when <laughs> or someone asks. So we had three new people starting at the office today, and we we have this kind of goofy thing that we do whenever that happens. Um, so, so far today, I've had three donuts. Okay. And man, were they awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. And it wasn't actually three whole donuts. I bought a dozen. So I had like an eighth of each of the dozen different donuts. It's been really great. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, what kind of donut was your favorite on that list? Oh, man. That's a tricky one. Um, I'm going to go for the coconut crumble. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was not bad. Well, Stephen, it's been great talking with you today. You know, do you have any final tips or um, ideas for people as they're thinking about possibly trying out, um, you know, a zero shoe or maybe trying barefoot running? I like the idea of going back to the, the mantra of, of, of constantly experimenting with what can I do to make this more fun, make it easier, make it lighter and be... Um, and, and, and be curious, be willing to experiment. So just a quick thing. Some people say that when you run barefoot or, or the proper running form is at 180 steps per minute, complete nonsense there. It's, it's most likely going to be a cadence faster than what you're used to, but 180 is not a magic number. And you'll find that if you're willing to experiment rather than assume that because someone said so, uh, that's the way it is. You know, you'll find on my website, a lot of articles that give a lot of suggestions, but not a lot of 
declarations or a lot of prescriptions. And I know people want prescriptions. They want to say, they want you to say things like, well, give me a plan for making the transition. And I say, well, I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know what your body is like. I don't know how, how, how facile you are with adopting new movement patterns. I don't know how much time you're out doing these things. I don't know how much time you spend in shoes in your whole life. So unfortunately I can't give a simple answer. I can give the answer that's true, which is take your time, relax, have fun, experiment. And there's nothing, there's literally almost nothing. There's no reason I can think of unless you have some massive uh, physiological problem that would preclude you from finding a way to do this and having a good time doing it. Great. Well, Stephen, it was great talking with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure.